Hey everyone, before we get started, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review on we Apple Podcasts. We just hit 20 ratings, which is really exciting. Why don't you make it 21? Or 100. Or 100. Just, but, but just review once and then ask other people to. Don't review us 80 times. Apple Podcasts fraud. Um, is, that a, is that a real crime? I hope it's we're about to make it one. <laughs> this episode was a listener request um, from two listeners. Actually, we love listener requests. We get so many of them, and it's amazing because it takes a whole element out of like, what should we do next? Because sometimes we just get overwhelmed at the sea of choices. Mm-hmm. So this way, we can just work our th- way through the endless. We have so many listener requests. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at our spreadsheet right now. There's a lot coming up, but we've we've been knocking knocking them down yeah. um, these past few months. So this book was requested by Isabel and also Angela. Thanks. Thank you. Send us your own requests. Thank you, Isabel and Angela. And now the episode. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, The Secret of Platform 13 Mm -hmm. by Eva Ibbotson. This book was published in 1994. So it came out at a time um, that, you know, set it up ripe for us to enjoy. I came out when I was four years old. <laughs> I didn't. I did not read it then. No, I just. I just mean it was. You know, that was an exciting time to be a young reader. It was. Oh yeah. Uh, just a few years before, a little little something called Harry Potter hit the American shelves. It says Harry Potter on the cover, which is also really funny because and there's annoying. been a, a lot of controversy about J.K. Rowling plagiarizing elements of this book. In Harry Potter. Oh, really? Yeah. That's There's so, so many similarities. But the thing is, it's it's just writers, you know, coming up with similar ideas. I really don't. You know what? I think even on the edition that we had when I was young, it also said, like, Harry Potter fans will love it. You know, it's really interesting. I'll always remember getting my copy of... Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because mom bought it for me because it said on the back, perfect for fans of Raw Doll. And it's really interesting to think back the different like layers and generations of the universal children's author who is going to be recommended (laughs) so that the publishers can sell these other authors' books. I don't know if it is very similar to Raw Doll. I agree. It's strange that they did that. They were just like, oh, magic, um, children, um, wacky things, some dark stuff, (laughs) some darkness. (laughs) Yeah. It's questionable. Interesting. First, a marketing breakdown where we describe the way that the publisher has chosen to package and portray the book. The copy we reread is not our childhood copy. It's from this good old Seattle Public Library. So we'll be describing the cover from our childhood version. This is one of my all-time favorite children's book covers. Um, Yeah, I love it. It's immediately compelling. Um, So we have 
all of the main characters um, setting out on their quest to rescue the prince. Yes. Um, and they're lovingly rendered, so colorful. Aj has a wonderful little look of concern and just obstinance on her face. She's got um, a box. We have Hans's only visible eye, which he doesn't want to put his invisible goop on. Understandably. Um, Sounds unpleasant. Uh, We have Gurky with her uh, beet root in her hat. Um, And Cornelius with his little grassy patch on top of his head leading the way. Um, It's just, of course you want to know what these characters are getting up to. It's an incredible assortment. And we have the view of their land, which I don't think we ever learned the name of, uh, in the back of the tunnel. They just call it the island. Yeah, the island. Only way this cover could be improved is if a mistmaker were on it. (laughs) Well, there's a mistmaker in her suitcase. Yeah, so I guess technically there is a mistake. So it's just inside a suitcase. Yeah. And I think this is such a good approach to get kids to pick up this book. I absolutely adore it. And this cover has stayed in my mind for years. And when we had a listener request for this book and I looked it up, my heart just immediately became full. And I also really like the cover for Witch Witch, which is another mm-hmm. one by Eva Ibbotson. Mm-hmm. Me too. I yeah, love that one. It's the one that we had growing up, especially because they're all like humanoid, except for two witches, which are literally just pigs, <laughs> like little pigs. One of them has a wig on. And they're all gazing yes. at their suitor. It's, a, it's incredible. I know. It's I really also funny. love Witch Witch, and I want to reread that too. Yeah, it's a great book. So, Madeline, would you like to just go ahead and give us the plot summary because we don't have the back of the book to read. And just a comment on the cover of the book we did read. It's interesting to see how this story's packaging is updated for Mm. a new audience. It's much slicker. It's a lot slicker. It looks, um, you know, more cartoony. It looks computer drawn rather than hand drawn. Um, Gurky has been made hot. Yeah. (laughs) Which, okay, whatever. Um, And Odd has been made a lot cuter as well mm-hmm. um, because I really she looks ap- more like a little kid I appreciate the uh, the illustrations in the book so much Sue Porter illustrated this edition and the the one that we read when young um, and her illustrations are incredible I love how like relatively shapeless and funny looking <laughs> the people are um, it's really endearing and then like every mist maker is rendered with such loving care uh, we'll, t- we'll talk more about the interior illustrations later um but yeah i'm not i understand why they made these changes to the cover um and just made it more graphic like it's got the secret of platform 13 and spooky font and it has them looking out into the train station the one thing i really do like is the eye hans's eye i love the eye yes fantastic that is an incredible detail because on our old version you can see his outline Mm -hmm. um sort of a you know oh well he's invisible but like fantasy invisible so the audience can know he's there um, and here it's just literally just an eyeball. It's <laughs> floating eye and you can see like the tear duct too, yep. which is really great. It's perfect. Yeah. So Madeline, for folks who may not have read the book for a while or haven't read it before. I encourage you to. It's, it's, the audiobook is less than three hours. So wow. You could, yeah. So you could read it in 
just it's such incredible. a short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, would you like to go ahead and give us a plot rundown and spoilage? Yeah. So this book takes place in a magical world and in London. Um, there is a secret door uh, under platform 13 called a gump that leads between the great magi- word magic. It's a great word. <laughs> leads between the magical world and the non-magical world. The gump only opens for a couple weeks once every nine years. Um, a prince is born in the magical world to a king and queen who, uh, I mean, it's the king who passes this off as all right, really. He's like, oh, he's a baby. Yeah, let him go with his three nurses to a different world uh, for a few days through a portal that has really specific rules. Yeah. So the the nurses take him through because they were homesick because they're from London before they came to the magical land. And they're getting really, really jazzed up about getting some classic fish and chips, uh, which they do get. And then in the meantime, this awful rich lady uh, who her defining character trait is that she's the wife of a banker. Um, oh, she steals the baby and she puts a doll in there that she also steals from her poor nurse who she's made to come with her on this journey. Uh, and then the princess nurses take him, take the doll back after the door is closed. Everyone realizes it. Womp, womp. Uh, nine years later, the king and queen choose uh, quote-unquote rescuers to go get the prince back. Um, and that's what this book is about. There is a switcheroo because the mean rich lady, Mrs. Trottle, who stole the prince, actually ends up pregnant shortly after. So the prince is raised as a servant boy by the old nurse of Mrs. Trottle who um, threatens her with revealing her kidnapping yeah, they kind of both blackmail each other yeah. into doing some things mm-hmm. for one another yeah. because they're both complicit in the kidnapping. Yes. Um, and the, the little the real prince's name is Ben. Uh, the fake prince's name is Raymond Trottle, who they all think is the real prince, who's a just garbage human <laughs> of yeah. a child. Yeah. Um, so they tr- spend a lot of time trying to convince him to come back and Ben hangs out, makes friends with Odge, who is, uh, one of, as Grace was talking about the rescuers, she's the little girl and also a hag. A hag. That's her, uh, craft. Yeah. Her craft. I think it's a good way of putting it. Um, and then at the very end of the book, hijinks ensue. Uh, there's a mist maker. It's really cute. We'll talk about the mist maker. <laughs> a mist maker gets up to no good. <laughs> um, and they realize at the very end that Ben is the prince. They shoot Raymond Trottle back home and they're like, thank God. And then Ben gets to be the prince. He comes home and Aj gets to go live in the castle as well uh, to be like, the castle hag seems like yeah and she's friends with ben it's all good miss maker hangs out (laughs) yeah happy ending thumbs up (laughs) so this book is unique in that it's for a slightly younger audience than the books that we usually cover Mm -hmm. um and is more you know classified as a children's book rather than a young adult book yeah um 
but that doesn't make it any less valuable to read as an adult. Yeah. And I, I just can't even describe the like injection of joy that reading this book yeah. provided. It's for really me. delightful. <laughs> Which I think is something that we can all use right now. Um, so highly recommend it. I really appreciate Isabel and Angela for requesting it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's discuss our old and new impressions. Go um, for it. Because we haven't had a book with a lot of strong childhood connotations for I've, us for I've a little while. I've never read this book before. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read Witch Witch and I read Island of the Ants. Oh no. But I've never read this book. Before. I didn't I thought you had. Me too, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Love those surprises. Um okay. but, but I'm gonna talk about Witch Witch instead. <laughs> A different book entirely. Well, you can discuss your appreciation of Eva Ibbotson yeah, through exactly. Okay, exactly. well, I'll I'll just say <laughs> this is one of those books that um, I first read at school in one of the little you know the classrooms would have their own mini libraries, um, and it's such a quick read that I you know I'm sure it's one of those school books that I took home but I did return I did actually return that one are you sure because <laughs> I remember seeing that book at home for years well we had a copy later oh on. okay yeah, I, I thought maybe it was one of the, we stole a lot of this books isn't, from this schools. isn't a dragon song situation <laughs> <laughs> okay like I would always have because I was one of the kids that actually liked reading mm-hmm. and so teachers would give me books me and too. I would just never give them back yeah no me too all the time this book is so great for kids to read because it shows children having their own agency and power even in situations where they're being abused um it gives them sort of an out uh and even if it's a fantasy world in this in this book and you know children can't physically go to a fantasy world in real life i feel like it provides some good tools um for making it through a difficult childhood Mm. or just a tough time in life. Mm. Um, Odge is just a fantastic character that I feel like you don't see enough of um, in that she's disagreeable to an extent, but she's dogged in accomplishing what she feels is right and what needs to be done. And she's responsible to what she believes to be right. Yeah, yeah, and she's also a little bit of an outcast because she's not as much of a hag as her siblings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're supposed to have, like, extreme physical oddities. Um, and she just has different colored eyes and a bump on her toe that will, you know, maybe hopefully grow into another toe one day. That's what she says. Yeah, it's just not how extra toes work. This isn't realistic. <laughs> what else about this book isn't the way that the real world works, Madeline? Mistmakers look more like Furbies. <laughs> what if you turn the page and That's there just was just a Furby? <laughs> and clearly that means that a Furby has time traveled. <laughs> so well, much The less. ramifications of which I'm just yeah. not even comfortable considering. So much less endearing. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So basically what I'm saying is it's a really powerful story that's packaged in a very easy to 
read and easy to process way. Um, there's a lot of discussion of financial motivation and greed being absolutely horrible things. Yeah, it's a very anti-capitalist book. Very anti-capitalist. Yes. Because they comment multiple times that money doesn't actually mean anything in their kingdom because everyone is provided for um, and has what they need. And and the way they talk about the bankers and like Mm -hmm. has... He lends money to people who don't need it and refuses to lend it to people who are desperate for it. And something I learned in doing research for the episode is that Eva Ibbotson, she she was Austrian um, and she had to flee Vienna during the Holocaust as a child. Mm. And there are threads of escape and of children leaving mm dangerous places okay. in a lot of her books yeah, stuff no, that stem from very that. true yeah go ahead and do your uh so what do you think about witch witch <laughs> <laughs> well i will i wanted to say first continuing on the weird connections to harry potter trend that the original cover that we had i remember looking at the thing that said like fans of harry potter will love it and i kind of thought it was a harry potter book because of mm. the the little i thought that that guy was Dumbledore. The Cornelius, Cornelius. was Dumbledore, um, and I thought that other people looked like maybe they were the Hogwarts kids because Odge has like a black robe on, and this was when it's I was weird very small. that the one that we had would say Harry Potter because Harry Potter didn't come out until. Um, okay, so maybe it didn't say <laughs> Harry Potter on it. I'm just remembering wrong because I it okay. made me think it was somehow related to Harry Potter. Okay. I understand. But in fact, it came out before Harry Potter. Yes. Anyways. Eva Ibbotson's Witch Witch and Island of the Ants were both really important to me. I read them over and over and over and over again. Um, I don't know why I didn't read Secret of Platform 13. Probably it was... I have had and still have a lot of little mental blocks of like, no, I can't intake this media. It's different than what I expect it to be. And I'm, I can't. Anyways, I I think it was one of those. Um, But those are books that I really, really loved. And they both do have very strong themes of, yeah, there's like little misplaced kids in them, but they find a new home and are somewhere where they can be taken care of and be happy. Yeah. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. Um, I just really like Eva Ibbotson's characters Mm -hmm. that she makes. She does such a good job with so in so little amount of time developing fleshed out fun weird characters yeah they feel Uh, so real yeah in a very impressive way while staying super entertaining Mm -hmm. um she's very funny yeah her turn of phrases are very funny Mm -hmm. the thing that i noticed most revisiting this from an adult perspective is how well she weaves together fantasy in real life and also dark and very difficult life concepts. They're always close at hand and they're touched upon, but they don't overwhelm the characters. Mm. And in the end, Ben and Odge, who are really the protagonists, um, are able to lead the lives that they mm-hmm. deserve and that they've always wanted to lead. Um, not that Ben always wanted to be a prince, but he wanted to have a family and he wanted to um, be able to satisfy his curiosities um, he's smart and inquisitive and he wants to adventure. And I thought that that was really fascinating how all this darkness is looming over them, but the children are able to 
make yeah. it through. Yeah. With the assistance of some good adults too, but there, there's also some really bad ones. Yes. Maybe a new bad parent award can be given out. Um, I mean, she doesn't kill Ben or like try to kill him. She does consider killing his grandmother. I have a question for mm-hmm. you. So yes. since you actually read this when you were a kid, did mm-hmm. you realize from the beginning that Ben was the real prince? Yeah. Or did you get twisted? I know. It's um, <laughs> it's a really obvious yeah. twist. Um, I would Like from the very beginning. Especially because from the moment Ben meets the rescuers, he's not put off by them. He accepts... <laughs> them for who they are and isn't freaked out by magic um yeah it's just very like oh okay he's it's natural yeah for a second i was like oh maybe he's not the prince but he's go like they're just gonna take him back and it's gonna be fine because you know Mm -hmm. whatever blood ties Mm -hmm. um i know really the twist would be raymond actually being the prince right that would be a true twist Mm -hmm. yeah but then as soon as it'll be interesting as soon as they actually meet raymond then i was like yeah he's not that's obviously her biological son (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean and we get the really beautiful moment when he and his parents see each other um all while the parents are still thinking that raymond is their son and they run toward each other because they instantly know when they see ben the king and queen you, you look blank. The reason I look blank is because I don't think they ever actually thought Raymond was their son. Like, because Ben arrives at like the same moment as yeah, just Raymond is afterwards. out there. Yeah. So I don't think they ever even had to contend with like, this is our child. Well, that like lack of the twist being a twist is probably the most telling sign that this is for younger readers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't detract from the book. And if anything, like, it makes, um, I don't know, it gives like a sort of sweetness to all the characters. Like they're oh, just so sure. earnest and yeah. they're just trying to do what's right. And it's much more interesting watching them trying to figure out how to convince and then kidnap yeah. Raymond. Raymond. <laughs> I love the party that they throw oh, my so goodness. much. And the thing is, um, not to be like a super annoying Anglophile, which I'm not, but it's been exactly one year since I went to the UK for the first time. And where they're describing their party in Hyde Park um, is somewhere that I walked. And there's actually a Peter Pan statue right there. Um, and I, I, I love thinking about that and having seen that place um, where all these wonderful magical things are happening. Um, and this book is just so London. It's amazing. It's very British. <laughs> it's very British. Yeah, we were saying yeah. before we started recording that this is our most British book yeah. that we've covered, we think, except for When in the Willows. Um, yeah, good which, point. But that's pastoral, but that's, and yeah, this is city. Right. Yeah. But I, I was amazed by how much of the book you know, reflecting on it, how much of the book takes place in London as opposed to this wonderful magical land mm-hmm. that we're teased with at the beginning and then we're just not there yeah. for the entire book. in London because <laughs> that's where the prince is, yeah. Um, yeah, and also where I stayed when I was there in Earl's Court is really close to where um, the trot- Trottle's house is. Huh. Is it Trottle or Trotter? Trottle. Trottle, okay. Like Spittle. Like Spittle. Is very close to where the Trottles fancy pansy house is. We do you want to talk about like animals? Animals in like this book. Animals in this book. Because there's a lot of animals. Take it away. So my favorite animal is <laughs> <laughs> 
My favorite animal is a dog because it's cute. No, I'm Madeline and I'm maker. The mist maker, but like, yeah, because it's cute. <laughs> the mist makers are painfully adorable. So cute and sweet. And that's how they indicate, that's how the book indicates that all of the rich people at the fancy hotel suck. Are monsters because they're, because they're like, trying to murder a mist maker. It. And it's like being adorable and loving. And I, I can't handle thinking about the mist maker watching the band play. Um, it's too much. I'm so I'm happy. overwhelmed. And now whenever I'm happy, I just want to start going like, ah, ah, ah. ah. <laughs> and making mist. Making mist. Making wonderful refresh. And, and we are in Seattle and uh, there's a lot of mist. And uh, so there, we actually have a lot of mist makers, I would say. I love mist. Um, I've just never seen one, so I'll have to go search them out. Not have to around. take to the I'm, shores. I'm looking for a specific picture of the mist maker. I also love the way the illustrations of the mist makers. Yep. That's the one I showed you when I handed you the book. It was yeah. like, here's a preview. We'll put this Look up it, on animal. our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Um, Madeline's trying to show my cat the mist maker. <laughs> and my cat's just like, look. why are you hitting me with a book? Um <laughs> I love the way the illustrations are spaced because we get the written description of the mist makers first, um, which is sort of funny because it's like, like a puppy, but also a seal. Yeah. But with earlobes. With ears. <laughs> <laughs> and as you're listening to it, you're like, okay, I mean, I guess I'm on board. Another and then we picture. get the just super endearing mist maker that Odd rescues and raises, um, just sticking with us throughout the book. And being potty trained by Ben and because it pees on Raymond's toys room (laughs) and he's like it's mine but I don't want to deal with it I don't want to clean it you take care of it oh god the mismaker in his suitcase really really cute also, one of my favorite passages in the book is the mist maker freeing himself from the suitcase because it's from his perspective. Yeah. <laughs> He's so delighted getting to be inside, free. Yeah, getting inside the mist maker's head is uh, oh, it's a pretty fun place so to be. so great. It was really yeah. funny, too, um, just like the rest of the book. There are these little moments of comic gold, um, just when it, when it first switches to him in the van and he's thinking to himself that, he's moved past suitcases like he's seen these great open spaces now and he's Mm -hmm. not gonna put up with this anymore (laughs) um and then breaks into the to watch the band um miss maker is amazing uh we have a lot of fantasy creatures of different sorts um a lot of typical fantasy races are represented um we have mermaids and a giant wizard um, different types of nymphs and spirits. I love the water nymph. Um, There's some hybrid human mythical animal, like the mm-hmm. the one that they summon up, the monster from the lake, uh, for Raymond. And then Raymond gets really upset because he sucks, and everyone yeah. else is admiring it as like a miracle of science, I think mm-hmm. is what is said. Yeah, but Raymond spoils the moment. Something really incredible about this book is that the fantasy world is has open borders mm. and is cool with just any human coming through yeah um if they want to try a different way of life mm-hmm. if they want a new home um and the way that the fantastical folks who have crossed over into our world 
integrate with society um, and find some, you know, find a profession that makes sense with their Like own. a terrible, terrible nursemaid. <laughs> well, I was thinking of the, um, not the water nymph, but one of her relatives works in the sewers. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and they're all, when they talk about their jobs and their lives, they're like, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a, it's an honest living. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I, I don't live on the island anymore, but like, I like being in the city. Oh, totally. <laughs> it's just a funny approach um, where it, to something like that because I feel like in books where there is a secret magical world and our human world, the secret magical world has to be kept secret at all costs. Mm-hmm. And like the humans can't be a part of it. Yeah. Like Harry Potter. Mm. Um, and right, yeah. this is just a really different approach. It's much more it's, it's giving. It's like and, shared to anyone yeah. who can be open to it. It's yeah. just that most humans aren't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I think, enviable and something that we could all benefit from thinking about. Share your magic with others these days and your resources. And, you know, because we spend most of the book in London, it's funny because we don't, the island isn't painted as like, I mean, it's, you know, a wonderful place and everyone's happy there, but London is a whole other different thing that's like pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll yeah. like, maybe you'll like instead like the fantasy world isn't the be all end all yeah um the king and queen want their son back and like he needs to rule the kingdom one day and stuff like that and i thought um, i thought it was really funny that like the northern peoples like the harpies and their flying dogs just show up and are like we're gonna fix everything and they're like horrible <laughs> and they're like the military police force for yeah. the island um and they don't care about staying hidden or anything yeah uh, and it, it was interesting to see because you have to, I mean, if you have good, you have to have bad, like that's just how it works. And it doesn't make sense even in a children's book to have a fantasy world that is all sweetness and light. So the harpies and the other bad creatures are really important, but just their very presence threatens everyone enough that they only do good because a harpy can what transport you to a hellscape or is there something specific like that about what a harpy could do oh i just found the mistmaker passage he was too old for suitcases he was a free spirit he was used now to being part of things it's so good i just i want to have that feeling every morning when i wake up and start my day i'm like i'm, I'm part ready. of things i've moved past suitcases okay i'm not gonna find the harpy thing um but yeah, that was an interesting sort of third act with the harpies showing up um, and absolutely destroying the trottles and taking Raymond away. I wish we could spend less time with Raymond in this book. And I know mother. it's kind of inevitable, but dang. Um, yeah, and his, I, I love that the way that the rescuers find them is because of his mother's man-eater perfume, which she's bathing with, which is not going to be healthy for anything. Your body. Um, And it's all being flushed through the sewers. So the sewage worker finds them. I also was intrigued by the finishing up the animals segment, the creature in the lake. I didn't know. I don't know what that creature is or if that's something that is established in fantasy and folklore. Um, I wondered if it was like a Kelpie or or kind of inspired by a Kelpie. mm -hmm. He has a horse body, man's, like a a centaur type Mm -hmm. approach, but no 
skin. Yeah, so you can see all of the the stuff. It's like a the picture is body uh, body world body worlds exhibit. What is that called? I can't body remember. worlds, yeah. And there's a kind of horrifying illustration that accompanies him. A knuckle knuckle of you. So it was fun to get some old and new fantastical creatures. Yeah. Talking about Raymond is a great segue into our favorite segment um, because he's motivated by greed for both money, which, you know, maybe I can't relate to as much, but greed for food, which I can definitely relate to. And so it's time to talk about pretend food. Pretend food. Thank you. Rally and cry. Get in here and get some pretend food. In this book, we don't get fantasy food. We get real life food. I guess that's true, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone ever eats over on the other side. Except, except for, for the parched toast of the... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they we, we have a bunch of this, but the nurses torture themselves endlessly, basically just like self-flagellate because they lost the prince. So they live in a cave and they always make themselves uncomfortable and they only eat super burnt toast. They have a crate of bananas on standby for when the prince arrives, but it takes so long that they're... Bananas all rot. They have, <laughs> they have to get, to get new, new bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we had a moment of them at the end. Um, eating the bananas. Yeah, eating the bananas specifically. We do hear that they're dressing in fine gowns and like treating themselves. And what does Aji eat? She is trying to be as hag-like as possible at the end when she's being really bitter. Um, oh. And she thinks that Ben has forgotten about her. Um, and she has decided... <laughs> She was going to sleep on rusty spikes and eat slime and raw jellyfish. She found a flat boulder which would do as a table and decided to have moldy bladder rack for lunch. She wouldn't Ugh. eat with a knife and fork either. She'd eat with her fingers so as to become disgusting as quickly as possible. <laughs> and then she found the bladder rack all right. It even had some little worms crawling on it. But she decided to have lunch a bit later. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that's disgusting. Ugh. I don't know exactly what bladder rack is. Yeah, I don't. I d <laughs> is that... Uh, Do you think it's like haggis? Oh, it's a type of seaweed. Oh. That grows on the northern Atlantic and Pacific coasts of the United States. So we've got bladder rack all around us. You can buy 20 pounds of it on Etsy for $170. On Etsy? For like 50 pounds. 50 pounds on Etsy for $375. What, <laughs> what other amounts of bladder rack are available for purchase? I think it's I think it's like a crafting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure if it's on Etsy, I hope it's not food grade. <laughs> no, sea moss and bladder rack works well together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So if you have any crafting needs for your bladder rack, hit up Etsy. Wait, no, you are supposed to eat it. Take on a whole new body with sea moss. This vitamin-packed and mineral-enriched seaweed oh is the perfect ingredient to enlighten your day. Enjoy feeling energized, happy, and healthy when including this in your favorite drink, dish, or dessert. <laughs> I wouldn't. Oh, I mean, legally, God. can you sell on edible food on Etsy? on Etsy? People do. People do. They sell like peanut brittle or like, you know. Oh my God, that's so 
such a bad idea. It's, yeah, it's horrifying. And I can't believe Etsy allows it because that seems like such a yeah, massive liability, liability issue. Yeah. And I doubt they have any oh. kind of like food license. No. Oh my God. Wow, that really blew my mind. We can we can eat bladder rack from Etsy. Mm. <laughs> Next time you come over, I'm gonna have the 30-pound package. <laughs> ready and waiting oh my god okay moving past that um we get a lot of spoiled kids favorite foods um because raymond is very insistent that he get whatever he wants and we have to sit through an excruciating lunch that he has with his mother at there in piccadilly at fortland's and marlowe um and they're in the food hall and there, there are some great little super British moments. The Trottles roast pork came next, and the kind waitress had managed to persuade the chef to put a helping of Yorkshire pudding on Raymond's plate, though anyone who knows anything about food knows that Yorkshire pudding belongs to beef and not to pork. Because, yeah, you should have applesauce with pork, not Yorkshire pudding. Well, Yorkshire you have with your Sunday roast, um, which is always... A beef roast. Grace did a ton of food research before she went to London because she was terrified. Are you, is anyone surprised? <laughs> she was terrified of being made a fool of by ordering the wrong thing at a pub. Pubs are, they work differently than bars here. When I was in There's London, I just, I just went and I drank and I didn't do you any like research. Clubs. I was like 18. <laughs> yeah. I just, we were going to like pubs in small towns, um, on the Jurassic Coast and stuff. And I just didn't want to immediately seem like a big bumbling idiot. Just was something like tipping works a little bit differently. Um, but there's also a lot of insane misinformation out there. So like any Americans who are planning on visiting the UK. How do you sort out the insane misinformation well, from I the facts? I talked to Allison because she's my friend, Allison, her husband is from Galway and she's spent a lot of time in Ireland. Okay. And I was like, so here's the thing. This guide says you don't tip at pubs, but if you want to show appreciation, you say, and one for yourself. When you're ordering a beer, you just order them a beer that they drink while they work. It'd be even better if it was like, yeah. I'll have one meat pie and one for yourself. Exactly. And um, apparently, according to this, like probably in just ridiculous guide that's made to make a fool of people, um, they then can say like, no, I'm fine. And just accept the like cost I'll just of have that the money. Beer. It's, <laughs> okay, it was, that's, I don't know. That's absurd. Maybe that's something you do like when you have a regular pub that you go to and you like know the people there. So you're um, literally friends with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, here's how to buy your friend to drink. <laughs> um, yeah. It's oh, incredible. It, I mean, I don't know. This, I would love to try that on a bartender that just have them be like, what? <laughs> Just get out. <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is, I haven't traveled that much. I didn't study abroad. Um, I am only in the last, you know, six years. I've gone to Europe for the first time. Um, so I'm still like learning and I want to make sure that I'm just respectful when I no, go to I, a new place. I don't, I'm not making fun of you for it being like silly or something. Like I totally understand why you would do it. I just think it's, 
just such a high level of planning yeah. that it's funny because of no, that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. okay. I agree. <laughs> we did. Um, I did a lot of research about which pub we should go to for our Sunday roast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to a place called the Jolly Butcher that was on the north side of London. What did mom eat? I, I found a place that had vegetarian roasts oh, too. Nice. Um, so this, it was like a nut loaf. Nut um, loaf. And she loved it. I mean, I'll, I'll put this picture up on our website too, a before and after of our lunches that day. Um, so it's just like so our plate empty are plate. Scraped clean. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really and good. So I highly recommend that place for anyone who is visiting. Or lives there. Or lives there. If you live there, you can't go. It's only for <laughs> tourists. Okay. Um, I. To be fair, I actually don't think I've ever gone to a country other than my own without having a substantial, like being part of a school program. Or like mm-hmm. I went to Mexico with Nick, who is Mexican and his whole yeah. family is Mexican. Even when I went you're to being London. guided, basically. Right. When I went to London, it was with my father and his wife. And we were there, like he was there lecturing. So we had people who were natives and yeah. So, yeah. So I've never had that, like just you know, push you off the boat and be like, go do the thing. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it's really fun. Exhausting. It is. Probably just go to my hotel and watch British TV. (laughs) Um, Order a bowl of clotted cream. Well, and I mean, yeah, and it opens you up to things like, I mean, we stayed at an Airbnb and Mm -hmm. I couldn't call the owner um and we were we sat outside for did like, you send a telegram we sat outside for like 50 minutes um sounds getting increasingly fun. cold and wet sounds fun. while she just sat inside the flat waiting for us but then i went <laughs> up to the door <laughs> and was like okay something has to happen i just started ringing all the bells and she came out and was like why didn't you ring sooner? And I was like, none of the bells are named. And she was like, oh, I forgot. I took my name off so that my identity wouldn't be stolen. Oh, Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I guess I'll take this out or maybe I'll keep it in. No, it's great, but we should probably end this segment. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's more food to talk about. The fish and chips are the cause of the entire conflict. And like, (laughs) I my mouth was watering. Listen, oh my god, god. I want some. Fish Especially and chips. talking about the vinegar because the vinegar is the best part about fish and chips. And Americans don't really put vinegar on their food, so it's not something you get. My mouth is watering right now. <laughs> Do you remember the batter all sizzled in gold and the soft whiteness when you got through to the fish? The way the chips went soggy when you doused them with vinegar. And as they stood there, they thought they would die if they didn't just once more taste the glory that was fish and chips. No, I think I will die. Me too. I know. I really. Death is coming for all of us. Eat fish and chips. <laughs> agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, I just want to go back to London. That's the, we should go together. That's the summary here. Once you I can have take money, me to the jubbly butt. <laughs> the jubbly butcher. Yeah, so, you know, we'll go back one day. It it was because of Dragon Babies that I even really decided to go to the UK because of the Terry Pratchett exhibit that was oh, running at the Salisbury right. Museum. So yeah. this podcast has, you know, taken me there and there and back again. The Grace's Holiday. The Grace's Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Woo!
Okay, a real rambly pretend mm. food today. Um, There's a lot of pretend. I do. I was like grossed out by the things Raymond was eating, even though they're the kinds of things that I usually be excited about, with the exception of the There's- ice cream sundae. I really wanted that sundae. Oh, the yeah. Maker yeah. Marker no, glory. Of course, of course. But yeah, when he was like, I want shrimps with mayonnaise, I was like, gross. <laughs> The bigger shrimps. Yeah. The bigger ones. Really sorry about all of my horrible British accents that's, that's I'm cavalierly why I, throwing around. That's why I just went with a slight Texan accent. <laughs> Confuse them. <laughs> Throw them off the scent. Yeah, the Knickerbocker Glory sounds really beautiful. And it's like, really fun to say. Knickerbocker Glory. And there's something endlessly appealing about just a huge ice cream sundae. <clears throat> Uh, yeah <laughs> Some, like something on my bucket list is to go with a big group to like one of those places that sells a ridiculous get, like sundae. the 50 scoop one or yeah, something like a fantasy sized sundae because that's pretend food at its but you i know it's heightened our I reality worry that but I it would need to be enough people to actually eat it because i absolutely hate the way that there are all these novelty desserts that people that you eat, like, throw most of it away of yeah it in the garbage but also if it was a million ice cream scoops i would worry that i wouldn't be able to keep myself from like putting my hands in it <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know like i'm I, definitely bringing you when i do <laughs> i would just see like <laughs> you can have your own corner of it whatever it is <laughs> Quarantine. Uh, yeah, I just, I love complex sundaes. They're, they're very beautiful and very tasty. I'm going to make a banana split tonight. That's what needs to happen. Yeah. Okay. Hungry. I'm hungry. That was a good, that was a good pretend food. Um, shall we discuss the badass ladies of this book? Yes. Solemn, silent nod. Great on a podcast. <laughs> reads really well on an audio medium so our badass lady meter discusses the various female characters and rates them on our badass lady meter we are using badass just in terms of an awesome character that we love and is super cool just trying to kind of reclaim that word and take it away from a stock badass lady um so just a little explanation there madeline's laughing at me no, I'm getting nervous about the, how hard I find this this framing device. Yes, um, <laughs> the badass lady meter is fascinatingly enough only understood by one of us. <laughs> so it makes makes things fun. No, yeah. I have a good yeah, I have a good one. There are a lot of fun female characters in this book. Um, Mine's gonna be Odge. Yeah, I, Odge is, is my favorite as well. We can mm-hmm. we can both be Odge. That's fine. Because um, I love Gurky. She's really sweet and lovely. Um, but I just don't relate to her. But I really appreciate that we get a, you know, both men and women on the rescuing team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Half and half. Although the Miss Maker is a boy, I guess. Um, but he doesn't really do much. <laughs> I think of him more as a girl. Odge is just someone that I want to be friends with. I love how dedicated she is to 
being a hag and I also like the concept of being a hag um, because it's like doing little magical things. Being a witch, but in a very specific way. Yeah, in in a niche way um, that like little curses and like unpleasantries. Right. And like spooking up a joint. Doing bad magics in a good way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a productive way. And it, her existence and just the concept of hagness in this world also helps establish that balance between the good and bad on the imaginary mm. island. Yeah. The imaginary island is not imaginary. Um, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate Aja's growth throughout the book, too. Yeah. Um, she manages to control her more violent impulses because she wants to kill Raymond yeah, um, so that they don't have to take him back. And she loves Ben, which, you know, is also Again, understandable. Understandable. And the two of them are are outcasts um, within their different social structures, like Ben within the manor and Oj with her family because she's not hag- haggy enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they have a lot to relate to there. And, and their friendship is very sweet. I'm rating Odge. That wasn't my fault. I'm rating Odge 10 sets of toes plus 10 bumps to grow 10 additional toes so that she can be her ultimate hag self. Hmm. I'm rating her a mist maker's mist. That's great. That's good. I'm happy with that one. I just really want, I wish my cats would go like, ah, ah, just, ah. and little mists would so come out of little, them. I want a little creature that makes that sound now. I didn't know that like sighing could be so adorable, but. Mine mostly just break stuff. Well, that's, they're, they're trash makers instead of mist makers. <laughs> cats are trash makers. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We're surrounded by trash makers and you know what? It's magical. Yep. I think that's everything for today's discussion. Um, thank you again to Isabel and Angela for requesting this book. Technically, Angela requested Eva Ibbotson and we picked the book. But thank you so much. We love getting requests. As we mentioned, we're working through a long list right now. We've got a few more coming up as well as a little holiday surprise for everyone. Get excited. Really looking forward to that. Um, so thank you so much for listening, for getting in touch, for supporting us, for rating us. Absolutely everything. We love you and appreciate you. Hmm. If you would like to get in touch, our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. Our Instagram is Instagram is dragonbabiespodcast, Twitter, dragonbabiespod, or you can shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.